Welcome to Bootleg Avocado, bringing you stories in the food and cannabis startup world. My name is Mara Rodriguez. I'm your host. And in this episode, we chat with Kaylin Castetter of Castetter Sustainability Group, their group that works with 16 farms across New York State to grow high cannabinoid hemp with a focus on quality and sustainability. You can find them online at csghemp.com. Kaylin, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Thank well, you. thanks for being here. Um, so this is Kaylin Cassetter from the Cassetter Sustainability Group. You guys are upstate, right? Yeah, we're based out of Binghamton. Okay. So give us um, your 30-second pitch on the, the group and what you guys are all about. Yeah, so really what we strive to do is, you know, help uh, add to the supply chain and help connect the supply chain from grower to consumer, right? And uh, part of what we do and specialize in is regulatory and compliance. And um, then also we are setting up a manufacturing line that will be able to produce compliant grade dietary supplement uh, hemp extract products, including CBD, uh, tinctures, lotion, cosmetic products. Um, and, you know, adding value to, uh, to crops that, that farmers grow throughout upstate New York. Cool. So, um, we're excited to have you as part of not just this interview, but part of, uh, bootleg avocado presents because you guys are, um, a local, you know, you guys are local. Um, a lot of the, the, uh, the brands that we have, they're, you know, from the West coast or from the Northeast, but you're all our, you know, New Yorkers for the, for the most part. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so let's let's start with a quick little empathy question, which um, a lot of people are always kind of really nervous around. But again, the way you want to answer this is just you know on a personal level. Uh, it's kind of like an icebreaker, so I'll let you pick. All right. And I'll let you read it and then answer it. Okay. How do you build trust? Well, so this is a really pertinent question for the industry that I'm in, right? Yeah. Uh, because in the cannabis industry, and I was actually talking about this yesterday, um, and it's it was an industry that's not, not new, you know, so I think this is a common fallacy is, oh, this is, you know, a new emerging industry. It's not. This has been around for decades and decades. And throughout that time, you know, uh, people that have been in the, the cannabis industry have to had to rely on, you know, handshake deals and trust. Right. You couldn't go through contracts. You can go through lawyers and can go law enforcement. So, you know, growing up uh, and cash, cash, right? Cash. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cash is gang. It still is, you know, um, but, you know, my father. Uh, my two other partners, my father and my cultural uh, director, Aldous, um, they spent uh, a lot of time, you know, developing their skills in the cannabis industry uh, in the black market, right? And so a lot of that, you know, culture of, you know, a handshake deal, um, you know, I, I really absorbed. And so mm-hmm. it was tough in the hemp industry, you know, dealing with a lot of actors who have malintent and who don't, you know, basically do what they say they're going to do. Um, so, you know, Building trust is, is something that takes a while, right? And it's something that is earned, right? Mm-hmm. And it's one of the most challenging parts of my job is to decide, and, and as a leader, you know, who do you work with? Who do you trust? Um, and I think that um, more than anything, it's you know, spending time with the person and uh, you know, really observing how they uh, respond to other people how they deal with small situations and how they deal with situations when the stress gets added, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to be trustworthy when, you know, 
you're not up against it, right? When you're not in a tough situation. And those are the situations that are really going to test people. Um, and so it's, it's tough. Fortunately, you know, we've built here uh, at Casa Sustainability Group, uh, we have an amazing team and we all trust each other. And uh, without that, we would not be able to, to execute the way we do. Yes, especially around the pressures of um, starting this type of business in an organization because it's, you know, it, 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 like you said, it's all about who you trust and when it push comes to shove, who kind of like shows are real colors. Yeah. Um, you know, especially kind of doing business um, as throughout the decades go and things change, legislation and everything else. Mm -hmm. So give us a little bit of perspective of, um, you know, this is a family business, right? Yeah. Um, started by your, your father, your grandfather, how many? Yeah, so, well, you know, we got in the hemp industry. My father got in the hemp industry, um, you know, shortly after I was born, in, uh, and he started in 1997 okay. um, with the first hemp-infused wine in the United States. Cool. Um, and, you know, he had breakout success uh, until the federal government kind of reversed course and, and took him off the market. Right. Um, so it wasn't until 2015 that I brought, you know, hemp infused wine back in the form of Sovereign Vines. Um, and so, you know, we've really uh, built it, you know, with him and, and, and then, you know, transition over Cast Sustainability Group, where, you know, our primarily focus is supporting the industry and supporting the development of the industry, um, you know, as opposed to just, you know, having a product out there. Um, but, you know, so, so my father was the original founder, you know, back in in the late 90s and then you know we brought on someone who is essentially you know an uncle to me is is aldous lloyd who's our chief agricultural officer um so those are the, the three partners in our group our cast sustainability group um but it goes beyond that you know our team with um you know aman weaver who is now been uh, at as our coo so he shares cfo and coo duties um and uh, someone i grew up with uh, in binghamton um and then our creative director um, Jameson Sherritt, someone who I met in college and who stuck with us and was employee number one for Sovereign Vines when uh, there certainly uh, was very little amount of profit uh, on revenue to be made. Um, and so, you know, that has been excellent as, you know, we've developed and, and you know, something that we do as a company is, uh, is we all cook for each other. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's funny, we know it's weird, but... It's the acre of the family. Yeah, you exactly, know? you know, and, and, and support each other and, um, you know, support each other in an industry that's tough where, you know, as a startup, um, you know, you you look at, you know, the, the conversation is much lower than what we could all be getting somewhere else, right? Yeah. But we believe in what we're doing. Right. So. I'm glad you brought up uh, cooking for each other because here at, um, at, at FoodX, um, the, for every cohort that comes through, um, you know, halfway through the program they actually have a uh, a potluck night and so every given that every cohort here comes from different parts of the world or the country they also make food that's very uh personal to them yeah and like those are one of my favorite type of uh events to kind of be involved because you kind of really understand who these people are their heritage their food their flavors and everything so yeah. it's it's a cool little exercise, but I'm glad that you kind of brought that up. Yeah, well, it, it's great. And, you know, beyond just the, you know, need to feed yourself every day and, you know, the fact that it's definitely easier to for everyone, it's it's something that, um, you know, I, I take a lot of pleasure in and, and, and my father's kind of taught me, you know, how to, uh, you know, cook for other people and, and experiment and, you know, um, uh, share what, what you love and love of creating something, right? Yeah. And, and that's that's... The great thing about food is, is you're creating something every every time you cook, right? And so 
it's, it's kind of like these little goals, you know, and, and tweaking it and constantly trying to get it right and constantly searching for uh, perfection in, in what you create. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's take this from uh, more of a, um, the, on, the, on the wine side of things, right? Um, is there, uh, how has the, uh, the product development been on, on the wine side, given that, you know, your dad has first started doing the, the production and everything else, you know, a few years ago to now, how has it changed? How has it improved? And what are, what's kind of the focus on it? Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, the regulatory environment really hasn't changed and we're prohibited from selling out of New York state. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is issues that we've been dealing with, with the TTB, which regulates alcohol, on a federal level, and also the FDA. Yeah. And um, so what, what the wine has been able to do is it's introduced us to some amazing people and it allows us to get in the hemp industry in New York from the bottom floor. Um, you know, we're the first registered hemp processor in the state of New York, okay. uh, one of the original growers. And so, you know, it's transitioned from uh, the wine to really, you know, Cassie Sustainability Group, which uh, looks at helping you know, brands develop and, um, you know, helping... Uh, you know, people understand the regulatory framework and helping lawmakers and regulators understand from an industry perspective how to regulate this industry. And um, so that's really been our main focus where, you know, the wine has turned a little more into a hobby for us. Um, wine business is, is tough, especially when you have borders, right? Yeah. Um, and so it, it's definitely uh, something that we love, um, but, you know, definitely not what, what takes majority of our time for sure okay and let's um get a little bit more in depth about the sustainability groups so yep. that you also support other type of um hemp derived companies yeah so tell us about that the that group yeah so so you know and, and, and the evolution of us you know now um you know, we've partnered with a company called modern marketing concepts uh in binghamton and we are building out um one of the first uh if not the first uh dedicated a CGMP dietary supplement uh, facility for uh, cannabinoid extract products, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, through that, using the resources of modern marketing concepts, being able to do fulfillment for brands and opening up new sales channels for them, oh. but also building them up from a compliance perspective, uh, from a labeling perspective, design perspective, and really helping these brands grow, right? So, you know, where a compliant grade material may have been out of reach, for a lot of brands where they either have to buy super big or now they have to inventory, they have to spend a lot of cash. We help them with, you know, developing a product for them that's going to be unique to them and meets their needs and meets their customers' needs. And then doing the work on the back end that's going to take away from their time. You know, a lot of small brands when they start up, it might just be one, two, three people, right? And so they should be focused on their customer and developing their brand instead of packing boxes and sending them out, right? So that's really where we're coming in support. Um, But also, you know, taking their needs and the needs of growers and processors and um, bringing those to to Albany, right? And Washington, D.C., co-founder of the New York Cannabis Growers and Processors Association, and, uh, you know, we've done a lot. We, we you know, helped uh, write and, and get passed and signed by Governor Cuomo the hemp extract bill, uh, which is one of the most progressive and, you know, consumer safety-focused regulatory structures for cannabinoid hemp extracts in the country. Mm-hmm. And we hope to be a model uh, for other states and the FDA. Um, and so that's very exciting. And we're heavily involved in uh, the conversations around adult-use cannabis and all the complications that go along with it educating regulators, regulators, educating lawmakers, 
but also consumers and those in the industry. Um, you know, there shouldn't be friction between, you know, the people making the laws and enforcing the laws and those that, you know, are going to be regulated by them. Right. Right. Absolutely. So what's a, what's a good example of a, of a company that's kind of been part of the group has seen success or, you know, you know, tell us one of their stories. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have a, a lot of brands that we're working in and we'll be excited in the next uh, few months to, to, you know, announce their launch. But, but one, uh, one brand that we're working for a long time is called uh, Shamrock Creek Farms, right? Mm-hmm. So Shamrock Creek is an interesting story. I actually met them at the farmer's market where we're selling our wine. And uh, they are a, um, a farm that raises goats. Mm-hmm. And what they do is they create goat milk, uh, soaps, lotions, laundry detergents, you know, natural products, right? Yeah. And they're amazing, you know, the, the soaps, you know, people swear by them. And they're like, hey, listen, we want to see how CBD adds to it. Um, it has now uh, doubled their their revenue, um, and they have you know increased their distribution, um, and we've you know brought them. We really helped them in a holistic sense in understanding what their margins are, what their costs are, which is critically important. It's something yeah. that a lot of uh, founders and businesses and even mature companies glaze over. That's your lifeline. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, you especially know? early stage when, when the cash is so critical to you, like how are you going to spend it? Are you spending efficiently? What do margins look like? Like yep. people oversee that, especially in in um, a lot of these early stage companies, whether it be cannabis or food or, or you know, it's just always overlooked. Mm-hmm. You know, the numbers need to speak for itself. You need to know what your margins are given what tax you're going to give up, yep. given your food costs, your supply chain and marketing and everything else. Yep, exactly. And and then, you know, what your customer wants. Yeah. And uh, they've been very successful in putting out a low cost product that's more accessible. Sometimes I feel like, you know, well, a lot of times I feel like CBD products specifically are not accessible to the majority of people because of the price. And so, you know, working on that and, you know, delivering a product that actually works for people and and helps them and has a lot of therapeutic value um, with, you know, the addition of the goat milk and the the natural, you know, uh, properties and, and, you know, it's free of, uh, you know, artificial dyes or perfumes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been really exciting to see them develop. And then as we not this product line being able to launch them into a point where they can look at regional and nationwide global distribution oh. bring their product to people all over all over the country all over the region from a local product to you know and that's going to be really exciting to yeah. see them develop. are you guys looking at global uh expansion as well absolutely yeah, yeah. so um you know and that follows very closely i mean everything follows very closely with the regulatory side right so right. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet with um, the head of trade and agriculture for the U.S. delegation of the European Union to the United States uh-huh. back in November. And uh, a lot of education, you know, I, I spoke to uh, Tomas a lot about, um, you know, how our quality standards in New York, um, you know, as it relates to food and other agricultural products are now extending over to hemp extract products and, you know, hoping to develop a robust uh, trade partnership with the European Union so that their consumers can have access to high quality, safe and effective products that are produced um, by New York you know, producers. Okay. Um, so let's take a quick little break. Uh, when we come back, let's chat a little bit more as far as like your transition from, you know, obviously this is family business. How were you involved very early? You went to college and what you do after yeah. to kind of get back into it. Absolutely. 
Welcome back to Bootleg Avocado. We have uh, Kayleen Kastetter from Kastetter Sustainability Group here today. So Kayleen, let's walk through um, the family business, how you got involved. Like what were your roles initially as you were growing up? You went to college and you came back. So what were the kind of the, the transition like? Yeah, so, you know, I, uh, interesting journey. You know, obviously my early childhood was really shaped by, uh, you know, I have a great picture of me sleeping in a booth at the New York State Fair as my dad sold wine. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, really what was left with me is the, uh, what could have been, right? You know, uh, the government, you know, we, my dad had his wine in, in Whole Foods San Francisco when the government decided to, you know, reverse course. So, uh, it's a little bitter taste left, you know. And um, so as I entered my sophomore year of college, I had just transferred from a small private school in upstate New York called St. John Fisher and really, you know, did not find my place there, did not did, did not fit in, did not like what was going on. So I actually went back to my hometown to Binghamton University, which is one of the best public schools. Still a great in, school, yeah. In the country. And yeah. so, um, you know, the political science school there, is uh, really impressive, and these professors are, are very, you know, impressive. But um, as I was transferring uh, the the summer, transferring, I, I kind of was looking for for something, and you know, foolish me thought that I should you know restart the wine company. Um, and you know, sometimes I, I think you know if I knew the work ahead of me, yeah. would I still have done it? Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm not sure. But all that work and that journey. Uh, was amazing, and uh, I definitely don't don't regret it. But but basically, you know, as a sophomore, um, I connected with our school uh, entrepreneurship department, yeah, and uh, they started to point me in the right direction in terms of customer discovery and and you know dev- the the process. Basically, um, in my my junior year, uh, we received our first you know, seed funding, and we opened the winery on shoestring budget, and so I develop and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then I made the difficult decision not to finish school. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, from there, uh, actually th- that decision was kind of prompted by uh, the school's office of entrepreneurship. They said, listen, you need to focus on your business or you focus on school. Right. And, um, th- and that's the right advice. So like uh, you, you've, what, what you've done is what a lot of people haven't done, which is really take advantage of, of co- what college can provide you. Yeah. And make a decision on your own as far as, like, do you want to continue? Is this the right space for you? Or do you want to do something else? Yeah. And I think that's the hardest part, given, like, a lot of people, at least, you know, between your generation and my generation, it's it's always been, like, you have to go to college. You have to be a professional, lawyer, doctor, whatever, or, uh, you know, kind of be in that realm, and you need to tough it out. And then you have to get a job, and then you have to do this. You know, it's been kind of like ingrained in a lot of people that that's yeah. the, that's a process and then maybe start a business yeah but maybe or not even like yeah. work for someone else yeah or like work for a big company let them take care of you work to, to you promote and then work your way up in the company right yeah. yeah and then you know maybe your years where you can be more you know once you once you have a family it's it's hard i think to start your own business mm. right because now you're choosing making decisions not for yourself but yeah. for other people and so when you're young, you, you know, I had a lot of versatility, a lot of flexibility. I could, you know, live with roommates and, you know, uh, eat ramen, right? <laughs> Where, you know, later on in life, you don't really have that, that versatility, right? So I, I think, you know, and, and you know, your creative ability, I think that, you know, a lot of people are, 
um, intimidated by starting my own business. And uh, I just, um, I guess I never was. I was foolish enough not to. I, I think you have to have a certain amount of ignorance yeah. when it comes to starting a business. Or lack right? of fear. Lack of fear. Yep, yeah. exactly. And um, I think that's it's important. It's important that you just forge ahead. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, um, I've always kind of been, uh, you know, independent-minded and entrepreneurial um, in high school or in, in actually in middle school. I decided to start a little, um, you know, general um, lawn service business kind of thing. Yeah. So it was in your DNA. Like, yeah. it's, you know, it, it's it's those type of people that they're, they've always kind of been – they had that type of mentality, like, yeah, I want to try this out, see where it goes. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and then I was a, a wedding DJ in high school. Yeah. And even though I had no idea of how to do it, I just did it, jumped yeah. in, threw a Craigslist ad up there. And, yeah. Um, and so, and that's What was your DJ name? Uh, DJ K. <laughs> <laughs> DJ K. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So um, I, I was uh, definitely on the lower end in terms of um, cost. So I did some very interesting events. Uh-huh. Um I, uh, what's a weirdest like weird events or like some of them were weird yeah what was like the weirdest one or um so probably the weirdest one was this um i think it was like a 60th birthday party at um it was like an american legion and um it was uh shaft themed you know the, okay. the show yeah <laughs> so many layers to this okay yeah Continue. so so yeah so um it was it was really interesting and um you know i had to, to find a, a lot of a lot of music from that era and um you know it was super cool but his his family so his his daughter and his granddaughters put together this like kind of like dance routine to do for him and he had like uh, this this chair that he sat at, like this throne almost, and like him like like a king. And I, I thought it was that was really cool. Uh-huh. And that was like on one side of culture, and the other side is going out into the sticks and doing these like redneck weddings. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so I got a good um, exposure to to different types of music. Yeah, you know, all the way from Leonard Skinner to Motown. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, but it was very fulfilling. One of the my best memories is I did a um, uh, 50th wedding anniversary. And so that was cool. There was a lot of generations of people there. And so, you know, playing all the way from 16 Candles to Bruno Mars, I threw in some Gnarls Barkley that they probably had never heard before. And they loved it. And they had the most amazing time. And I saw someone who was there. Uh, I didn't recognize him, but I guess he was one of the, the children of the the people celebrating their anniversary yeah. um, at a, uh, a hemp event recently, and they said, oh, "Do you remember that?" Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, it was, it was so fun. My uh, my grandparents still talk about it, uh-huh. and so that that was cool, you know. Yeah, but I've seen seen a lot of doing doing that for sure. It, it's great how that forced you to 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 meet different kinds of people from different walks of life, different cultures, and having to adapt and like really, you know that hospitality side of you kind of come out and make sure they have a good experience. Yeah, it's all on you, especially weddings. Yeah. It's nerve-wracking. It is. So I was forced out of my comfort, you know, level, my comfort zone. You know, I was never comfortable speaking in front of people. Yeah. And I had to get on the mic and introduce people for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. And uh, I just remember just being so so nervous before that. Uh And now, you know, people are like, wow, you know, you're so good at at public speaking and this, this, and that. And it just kind of comes natural, but it, 
it didn't actually come natural. You had to force yourself to do it. Right. Um, you know, and, and so that, that was, uh, I think that was one of the, the greatest things that I, I developed from that is, is first off, you know, being responsible for your own income there. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and the stress second with that, but then also, you know, forcing yourself to do something that you're really not comfortable with. Right. Right. You know? So for me, I was a, a golf caddy. So like in high school, you know, even junior high, I was a golf caddy. So like, I, I've never really set foot on a golf course or really played golf before. Uh, my parents were like, you know, uh, lower middle class families. So like stepping into like a country club, you're like, wow, this is beautiful and everything else. And like, you know, you interact with these members and, you know, obviously it's like you're there to provide them a good experience and, and, and help them through the course and everything mm-hmm. to read greens. It's like, but also it's a, a social aspect that you learn and you need to adapt to and be confident to. And that, that takes a long time. You yeah, know? absolutely. No, it really does. Yeah. And, but it's important and it's important to develop that when you're young, yeah. you know, I think. And um, it, for me, you know, sometimes I laughed like, you know, I was a, it's a DJ because I didn't want to get a real job. <laughs> um, but there's more to it. There's yeah. more to it, you know. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I, I think that also, you know, when you, you mentioned uh, you're told you're supposed to go to college and you're supposed to do this and, but also middle school and high school kids are, are told what they should be and should not be doing too. You know, like you should be um, playing sports. You should be working, you know, like McDonald's or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for me, one of the, the, the best things that I ever did was in seventh grade, I was a volunteer for Obama's campaign. Mm. And um, I remember going down to Scranton on the day of the election and knocking on doors and asking people if they voted and I was so young, and none of my classmates understood why I would want to do that. Even yeah. my teachers, you know. But that was one of my, you know, greatest memories. Uh, definitely in middle school is is doing that and feeling so impassioned and feeling, uh, you know, the message that that the president was speaking of hope. Yeah. And um, that's I think that that's really where I can point back to my, you know, uh, passion for politics that I, I still have. Okay. Cool. So let's take a quick little break. Uh, when we come back, let's um, kind of set the scene on what Cassetter Sustainability Group is going to go the next like five, ten years yeah. and, and everything else. Excellent. Welcome back to Bootleg Avocado. We're here with uh, DJ K. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let, let's jump into um, the future of Cassetter as far as, you know, yeah. as as a group, what are kind of the goals for, you know, twenty? everyone's focusing on 2020, it's a big thing, you know. But, you know, this year, five, ten years down the road, how do you see also the, the, um, the industry evolving? Yeah, so that's a tough, loaded question, right? Mm, and yeah. so we, we talk about cannabis industry and... When I think of cannabis, there's a lot of things that excite me, but nothing more than using it as a tool to uh, fight global climate change, right? And so when you look at the sustainability aspect, not just of the growing and, you know, the uh, you know, effects it can have on reducing nutrient runoff and pesticides and, and chemicals into our, you know, fragile water ecosystems, but also using the fiber as the next green building material to build our infrastructure of the future, right in a way that is non-caustic is you know a lot less co2 footprint mm-hmm. and is replenishable um as a resource right you know uh, obviously trees are renewable 
but they're not quickly replenishable like hemp is, where you, you talk, you know, uh, you know, yearly, annually yields, right? Um, and looking at cannabis holistically, right? Um, but we're also very excited about uh, the adult use market in New York State coming online and yep. being a leader in that. Not necessarily being a leader hands-on. Um, we do see some paths for us to be more hands-on in terms of um, genetics, genetic development in, in the adult use cannabis side, especially uh, functional strains, right? Strains that um, are not just about how high the THC is, but what the terpene profile is and what, you know, uh, maybe maybe lower THC levels, something that, that people really enjoy. Um, but, you know, helping brands, uh, you know, work through the inherent uh, mess of compliance, right? And the difficulty of staying compliance. Um, but then also, you know, allowing them to be more efficient, being more green, and um, helping small business and craft producers thrive. And that's in communities in, you know, the middle of upstate New York, but also, you know, hardly impacted manufacturing communities such as Binghamton, Rochester, Buffalo, and then communities that have been severely disadvantaged of from the war on drugs, you know, in the city. And that's why I love New York so much. And I feel like there's a lot of division upstate, downstate. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I live in upstate. My family is from, from uh, the city. So, okay. you know, I love being able to be in the greatest city in the world, the uh, mecca of culture. Right. And, and food. Then, and food. And food. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Which food and culture go, go right yeah, hand yeah, in hand, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then being able to drive upstate into some of the most beautiful, uh, you know, wilderness I've ever been to. So. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's really where we're excited to do is continually that. And that's 5, 10, 15, you know, 25 years down the line too. Yeah. So. Cool. And then, um, you know, especially for things as legislation changes this, this year, next year and everything else, how do you see kind of, um, you guys interacting with like neighboring states and everything? Is yep. there a plan for, you know, collaboration or? Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, and, and you see Governor Cuomo looking at you know at as this as a regional approach, right? Um, which is great. You know, I think the Northeast, you know, we, we do need to look at more of a, you know community. But New York is very unique <laughs> and, and unique, very large, uh, very large, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's not that similar to Massachusetts. It's not that similar to Connecticut, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania, right? Um, so for us, is we have a lot of opportunity in New York, and we're going to be very hands on in New York, but. You know, also looking at Massachusetts and what we can do in Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Um, but I think we'll have our hands full in the immediate term right here in New York. Yeah. Um, but we, we do very supportive of the governor's approach as a regional, uh, regional approach because, you know, you don't want uh, you know, taxes to be so much lower in a neighboring state where people are going there and purchasing product or, you know, a, a fierce sense of competition um, and, uh, you know, trade amongst states too and, and cannabis will be important okay um so we gotta have a few like quick fire questions because um kind of usually do that towards the end of the show um so one of the things um i do want to ask you is like what's a especially in your your industry what's a be bad piece of advice you hear all around constantly uh in order to be successful you need to be vertically integrated i think that's a huge fallacy I think that developing partnerships in the supply chain is more important and, you know, um, being, uh, you know, not being a jack of all trades and master of none, right? You need to yeah. focus, right? Yeah. Focus is the best advice I can give someone. What about um, you as like a person when you feel kind of overwhelmed, how you kind of, how do you kind of deal with the 
sorts of things, especially pressures, you know, especially you guys, you know, really handling a lot of different moving parts within the group. Yeah, so that's, that's very difficult, right? And, uh, you know, people ask me this all the time, how do you step away? And it's something that I always try to work on. Uh, fortunately, being in upstate New York, I can turn my phone off, drive 10 minutes away with my dog and, you know, go on a beautiful hike, right? And so nature is definitely my uh, sanctuary. It's where I go to kind of de-stress. But, um, but then when you go, you know, back into town and you go back into business, you're, you're right back in the thick of it. So having, you know, making your workplace, you know, something that you enjoy going to all the time and the people around it being family, mm-hmm. That is what's able to get us all, all through the difficult times for sure. Right. Um, I'm sure you've had a bunch of failures throughout, you know, the, the existence of the group. What was one specific fail, failure that you, or apparent failure that you kind of really need to really overcome and took you a little bit? And how'd you, how'd you kind of overcome that? Absolutely. So, you know, failure is critically important mm-hmm. to developing in this industry, right? Um, you know, I... Uh, you know, this year we uh, harvested on you know over 160 acres, right? And we brought that into one building, uh, an old Kmart in Binghamton. Mm-hmm. Um, and our biggest failure was, you know, getting uh, we got about 148 of those 160 acres done, which is a great success rate, but it's a big failure too because those 12 acres, you know, had to sit in the field and Mother Nature closed the harvest window for us. So looking back on what could we have done, you know, I mean, we ran uh, double shifts uh, for 37 days straight. Um, and, uh, you know, our team worked really hard. We set up cots in that old Kmart, you know. So, you know, there's not much more that, that we could have done. But um, planning and not not taking on more than you can really handle. And um, specifically, not taking on more than you can handle uh, because, you know, you had, uh, you know, for us, we, we grew up for, for a large company that um, didn't end up uh, taking the material, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. not relying on others and just because they have a ticker symbol, right? Or just because they're large and they have a large name brand presence, right? Mm-hmm. But again, focusing, relying on your local partnerships and your partnerships that you can trust. Going back to this mm-hmm. question asked me, how do you build trust? Well, you know, it's definitely not based on their revenue projections or whether they, you know, have a symbol on the New York Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. So. Or how much money they raised. Yeah, because it, it doesn't really matter. Exactly. At the end of the day, you know, and that money can be gone in an instant. So. So, absolutely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about more of the, the wine. So give us like a flavor profile. What are the different varietals and all that stuff that you yeah. guys focus on? So, yeah, so uh, we uh, basically we have four four wines with a, with a fifth that was kind of a special reserve. We have a dry rosé and a sweet rosé, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically the same wine with just a different sugar content, residual sugar content, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the blush, it's, so it's a blush. It's it's excellent. But the white is a Cayuga. Okay. And Cayuga was a grape that was developed by Cornell specifically for the New York I was going to say, in Finger Lakes area. Yep, yep, yep absolutely. <laughs> um, so, you know, the Cayuga has somewhat of a negative connotation. It's like, oh, that's a sweet, you know, very fruit-forward wine, right? But our wine is not sweet. It's, it's definitely a semi-sweet. Uh, it's 2.25% residual sugar, uh, mm. the white, and it's just very refreshing, and the hemp just gives it a really nice flavor. Um, and then our red is uh, something that we brought in California. It's a Cab Sauv Merlot and Old Vines Infidel blend. Um, and that has a lot of character to it, um, especially with the hemp and very smooth 
uh, earthy aroma to it, for sure. Okay. And which are the ones that you're going to be bringing for uh, for the event? Yeah, so we'll bring our red and our white. Um, okay. We haven't done a, a run of rosé in a while. Um, the last run of rosé, we got little combinations off, and it turned into a sparkling rosé. Okay. Not the worst <laughs> thing in the world, though. People no, are no. loving it. So yeah, yeah. so maybe I'll bring a couple of bottles to that, too. Okay. But, cool. Um, yeah, that, that fifth reserve I actually didn't talk about was our, uh, we called it Cab Frankenhemp. Okay. Unfortunately, that uh, we'll have to bring it back, but it's going to be different because that was a 2016 Cabernet Franc yeah. in the Finger Lakes, yeah. and it was one of the best wines I've ever had. And we made 50 gallons worth of it. So that's 25 cases. Oh, wow. And I have like two bottles left. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So. Interesting. Interesting. So how can people get a hold of you? Um, and number two, what are the sort of things or connections you're looking for right now for people listening so they could reach out? Absolutely. So so if you're a brand or you're looking to start a brand on the Hemp Extract side, we'd love to hear, hear from you and connect and see what we can do. Um, and so you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can connect with me on Facebook or you can connect with the company on Instagram or on our website, mm-hmm. uh, csghemp.com. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd love to work with you and see what we can do, whether you're tiny or whether you're a, a large brand and you're in need of, you know, uh, quality sourcing in your product, compliance, and these value-add services such as fulfillment and distribution opening up new sales channels for you. Cool. Um, uh, Instagram, any other ways, Twitter or same? Yeah, uh, yeah, not really, not really on Twitter much, but yeah. Yeah, definitely LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, okay. and Instagram are the preferred channels for sure. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for being here. Um, again, Bootleg Avocado presents um, the State of the Union of Culinary Cannabis on February 27th, 6.30 in New York City here at Foodex. Um, Kaylin will be there. We have a great um, panel as well. So we're actually going to announce you next week. Awesome. So you're like the, the new addition that's coming in. Um, cool. And we got a whole bunch of great vendors, including your wine's going to be here. Yep, absolutely. Which is great. Yep. Um, so go to bootlegavocado.com, uh, get your tickets there. And we'll be back in a few weeks. I think we're probably going to record one more event, uh, sorry, one more episode, uh, probably shortly after the event, just to kind of get some feedback and all those things. So, awesome. Yeah, Kelly, thanks for being here. Thank appreciate you so much. Yeah. Really appreciate it.